I'm Sam Mitchell, and these are my stories. I met this guy named Michael, had a motorcycle, thought that he was cool, he always quoted from the Bible, but he had a baby mama, who was a prima donna, had to let him go, cause I ain't really with the drama. Hi folks, how are you today? And let me first welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now before we begin, a message that I'm not a psychiatrist. If you're starting to be diagnosed with autism, please see a physician, always based on my experiences. I also know the right to the intro natural, they're found on ytmp3.com. I also have missed this interview with all of you. The mission of Autism Rocks Rolls is to take the stigma off of autism and other conditions that may think of disabilities. People on spectrum are not broken and do not need to be fixed. Those that conditions or at least not to be pitied, there's nothing to be sorry about. I also have some paid for the following. Casals Financial Consulting Incorporated is a must look. Pamela Cotton numbers for Casals Consulting as a financial consultant. Among the services, she assists clients with their funding, life insurance, home protection, objectives, annuities, 401ks, IRAs, healthcare, perpetual income, and pension optimization. She will collaborate with you to make sure everything related to your finances is in order, and she will also make sure that it is good to go. Reach Ms. Cotman at casalssc at gmail.com or the main office. And there are also people I like to thank. I had to thank my grandfather, who sadly passed away on December 1st, 2023. He was born in 1937. From that day, Gary Mitchell did things his way. He paid tribute to him at a funeral held at the Ferguson Lead Chapel of Thornton George Family Funeral Homes. Everyone did honor him. Thank you to all that came, and extra thanks goes to ARAR sponsor Dave White for the dinner after. Rest in peace, Big Gary, you will be missed. Today we have, from across the country, England's own Megan Prescott. Megan is an actor, writer, and director who stars Katie Fitch from the BAFTA award-winning British drama Skins. That's her time on Skins. Megan has turned her focus more to writing and directing. Last summer, Megan did some directing work from the Burning Grills, which is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. She is currently reporting the first season on her podcast, Really Good Exposure, which will be released in the new year. What you may not know about her is that in December 2021, she was diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, and before that, she was diagnosed with ADHD. Howard did not stop her from taking part in bodybuilding. Let's welcome the strong in-and-out actress and bodybuilder Megan Prescott to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Megan, what's up? Hello. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. So my first question to you is, what does having autism mean to you? I think having autism means I digest the world differently to how a neurotypical person would. But since getting my diagnosis, it's helped me kind of break it down and realize that just because I see things a different way and process things differently, it's not bad. Sometimes it's actually a benefit. It doesn't necessarily mean that's not a good thing. Let's think about history. Did indifferent change the world? Yeah, exactly. Look at Albert Einstein. Look at Bill Gates. I feel like there was a lot of people who did amazing things in the past who were most likely on the spectrum, but a lot of them maybe were undiagnosed because it wasn't as talked about or understood. I think without people that think outside the box, nothing would ever change. What were your initial thoughts when you learned that you had autism? So there was two different versions of when I thought I had autism. So there was when I actually started thinking, oh, actually, I think I might. And then there was when I actually got diagnosed officially. And there was probably like two years between those two things. I don't know how it is in the US, but in the UK, we have the National Health Service, which is free, but it doesn't receive the funding it should from the governments. Things like ADHD and autism are very, very difficult to get a diagnosis through the NHS for because they just don't have the funding for the knowledge of it. I had to go privately and I had to save up to get a diagnosis because it's very, very expensive. But when I started learning about autism, it coincided with my ADHD diagnosis. At first, I was like, oh, no, that's not me. I don't relate to having autism. I read a couple of books about women with autism. It was weird because I 
really related to some of the things, but because they weren't exactly the same, my brain was like, oh no, it's not the same. So I don't have autism. I don't know if you've heard the trope of young boys getting diagnosed with autism because they have a fixation on trains or planes or something typically that little boys are interested in. And girls often get missed when they're talking about diagnoses because a lot of the research was done on young boys just because what we are hyper-focused on or we're very interested in might differ from what a lot of the research says. It doesn't mean that we still have the seed in us to get hyper-fixated on things. It was a lot of like unlearning and I think genuinely the most helpful tool was Instagram following pages about autistic women or autism in general or late diagnosis autism. Then I was like, oh, I highly relate. This would explain a lot in my life. Maybe I should pursue a diagnosis. When I finally got an actual diagnosis, it was the biggest relief and validation to have somebody actually say, there's a reason and you're right. It was amazing. Well, I'll be honest with you. At first, when I was doing the research, I didn't think you were. Until I saw how outspoken you were. You're one of the most outspoken people I think I've ever met. I'm not going to lie to you. Yes, I got in trouble a lot when I was younger as well. And like, I got expelled from school and there was a lot of stuff. And then I started reading about the justice sensitivities. And I was like, oh, right, yes. I, I didn't complain it. I love it. You got someone else who was very outspoken too. And is not afraid to say what's on his mind. I do a lot of speaking before thinking. Same. <laughs> Looking back on it, what were some of your fixations? If I look at my career, if we look at bodybuilding, bodybuilding was a fixation. It's something that's, that I got absolutely obsessed with and it is a very dramatic thing to do if you've never been in that world and that wasn't your life and your... But I got hyperfixated on it. There are a lot of things that I get hyperfixated on and I'm months or years later, I'm like, why did I spend so much of my time and money on this thing? Bodybuilding is not one of those. I'm very happy that I did it. I think in my youth, I had... Lego, I was absolutely obsessed with Lego, building little worlds for my characters and making voices for them. There must have been a million hyperfixations. I can't think of any now. But other signs that I think a lot of people around me missed when I was younger that I was autistic was such an extreme sensitivity to clothing. Having my hair brushed, like my hair got matted because I could not deal with the feeling of having my hair brushed and certain shoes I had to wear. I could only wear one type of shoe. I would wear them till they were falling apart because otherwise I would just, I would have a meltdown. I now have the language to understand that it was a meltdown, but obviously at the time they just thought this is an unbearable child and sensitivity of clothing was a very very big thing for me when I was younger. Mine too, except mine's with don't you dare pour water on it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, don't you dare pour water on my clothes. I'm running for the hills for that. Do you have this thing where I have a thing about water where I hate one part of my body being wet and not the rest? It's like water... I'm just like, oh God, no. If I could avoid showering altogether, I would. <laughs> no, I get it. I can Lucky shower pretty much any part of my body, but unless it's nighttime, I'm not showering my hair because for some reason, yeah. the hair, it stays damp during the day. I can't deal with wet hair. I grew it long specifically so that every day I have it in a braid. There is shower caps. Yeah, shower caps. I sleep in a bonnet because it doesn't damage your hair, but it still keeps it out of the way. These don't have any for men. Where are the shower caps for men? Or you can use a regular shower cap. Yeah, I've done that before. 
<laughs> now, how do you think our brains specifically operate? You said differently, but I guess I'm asking how differently do we think more black and white? I know we do, but just give more examples, please. I look at things incredibly black and white to the point that I didn't even recognize how black and white I look at things until I got my diagnosis and started like breaking down how I think. And it takes a long time after diagnosis to be like, oh, this one's deep. When I was younger, I had a very hard time keeping friends or making friends because such little things to me, if someone did one thing, I would be like, right, well, they're not a good friend. And I can't be friends with someone that doesn't understand that even like they took too long to text back one time. I would cut people off because I couldn't understand. Luckily, over the years and with therapy, I've trained myself to learn, no, people ebb and flow and they have their own stuff going on. You can't just think of relationships as black and white as you used to. But obviously, it's still a big struggle and it takes work every day to remind myself of that, especially with my neurotypical friends, because obviously they don't understand that something could mean so much to me that they wouldn't think twice about. This might sound like a bad analogy, but I often look at younger kids and I'm like, ah, they're doing what I feel like doing, but society has made me like hide all the things I want to do and not say the things I want to say. And that ends up with exhaustion and meltdowns. I read this thing, I think it was actually on Instagram, and it was saying that there's a theory as to how autism develops that has something to do with, I'm going to butcher this because I am not a science person, but it has something to do with neurological pathways when you're young and you have so many more when you're younger and they eventually get pruned. The ones that aren't useful get pruned as you get older. So as you get older, you have less and less of these neural pathways. So I guess like nerves of some description. So when you're younger, you are much more sensitive to feeling of clothes, the feeling of shower water, not wanting to do things you don't absolutely want to do. And then as you neurotypical folks get older, those unhelpful, like useless neurological neurons, but they get pruned. But the theory is that with autistic people, they don't ever get pruned. So we continue to feel just as sensitive to all the things that like babies and children are, but we just have to be socially acceptable. We're forced to try and hide it. And obviously that's a luxury that not everybody has the ability to do. Not everybody can force down how they really feel. It's sometimes impossible. And I thought that was a really interesting way to look at it. I feel more of everything all the time. So in retrospect, we haven't grown up yet. Well, yeah, I used to be a nanny and I love kids. They're just saying what they think. This is great. They're not doing all this weird social lies and weird tricks that we adults have to do in conversation. They're just telling me how they feel and if they don't like it, they'll tell me they're bored. Maybe it will hurt my feelings quickly, but I'm like, well, at least I know that when they are happy, they're not faking it. They're genuinely having a good time. And I tend to find that I get on with a lot of people who other people would be like, they are unbearable. I think when you understand how your own brain works, and I understand how sometimes I get it very wrong in social situations, so I give other people a lot more grace when I know that they're neurodivergent. Because I'm like, well, yeah, we all have different difficulties and I will cut them a lot more slack than I would, for example, a neurotypical person. Because I'm like, no, you are just not being nice because you're not being nice. But someone who's neurodivergent might not understand the social rules that we all are like forced to go by for some reason. I also feel like a lot of people that neurotypical people think are rude or blunt or like difficult to work with. I understand why they think that, but I'm like, or are they just very honest and they're not lying? They're not pretending and they're just being who they are. And yeah, maybe sometimes it's like abrupt, but at least you know that they're not pretending to feel a way that they don't. I find those people much less exhausting to be around than neurotypical people sometimes who are always pretending, but I don't get it. So basically, it sounds like everybody except those on the autism spectrum have imposter syndrome. Maybe. 
we're being ourselves at least and when we are trying to hide who we really are like i was the first 30 years of my life you get burnt out and exhausted all the time and you're like oh i wonder what this is and all of a sudden when you get diagnosed you're like all right i have been trying to fit a mold for 30 years that wasn't built for me and i'm no longer trying to fit it and that i have had less burnout and less meltdown since i got diagnosed because i'm not trying to force myself as much what is the most rewarding and the most difficult thing about having autism i think the most difficult thing is it can get very lonely if you don't find your tribe like luckily i am finding my tribe and i have some amazing friends who understand how my brain works and give me the grace that friends give each other but it is very hard because i can only really speak for myself i can't really speak for like all autistic people but i think when i'm in social situations especially group situations i find it very hard to understand the dynamics and what each person's relationship is to each other and how we then need to interact outside of that social situation when we were in a group. Like WhatsApp group chat, I get very confused with what the vibe is. Neurotypical people I find often really can't understand why some neurodivergent people aren't great in loud social situations with a lot going on and with drinking. A lot of those situations happen at night. I really, I don't get nine hours sleep. I just can't function. And I have found it difficult to make myself go to social events which are always in the evening because I want to see my friends and I don't want to feel lonely I want to bond with friends but I also find it it messes up my sleep I don't drink so I can't like get involved in that kind of stuff especially if you haven't found your like group of neurodivergent friends which I luckily have everyone would feel lonely if you think nobody understands you and nobody thinks the way you think and everyone thinks you're rude and abrupt and been through times when I'm like wow this is lonely and especially when you don't know you're autistic you don't know why you feel so lonely and then even going to social situations you feel lonely in them i hear you because even though it took probably about 15 years to find the tribe finding the tribe while i'm glad i did it was exhausting it took a lot out of me from a personal perspective why we have a hard time with social groups and this is just my opinion they change the topic so fast. One minute's pepperoni pizza. They say, no, it's talking about the balloons popping. And then there's like music in the background. And then I think this is my ADHD, but I have a thought. And then I'm like, oh my God, if I don't say this thought right now, I'm going to forget it. And then if I say it, I'm rude and I'm interrupting. And I know that. But if I hold it in, I'm trying to not forget the thought, but also concentrate on what they're saying to me. And I get home and I'm like, and then I have this social battery that I really need to pay attention to. Because if it runs low and I push it, nothing good comes of that. We were you my whole entire life. I'm yeah. for real. <laughs> what advice would you give to someone who just learned they had autism? I would say, again, this sounds kind of crap, but I would really say go on Instagram, follow account. Like there are specific accounts for like a lot of different types of uh, neurodivergent and the autism ones. I found the most helpful ones were the ones for people with autism and ADHD because there's a lot for both of those individually. And then when I found the ones for people who have both, I was like, oh my God, this is great because autism and ADHD, they're quite contradictory to have at the same time. So I think that's why a lot of the time I thought, oh, maybe I can't be autistic because I like change. I get bored with the same routine. But actually, when I thought about it, that's only when I control the change. If someone else controls the change, I break down. But it's very hard to explain how someone with ADHD and autism might present that because they are contradictory. And finding Instagram pages that I could relate to about that, I was like, oh my God, these are the words that I've never been able to find. Someone else is doing the exhaustion 
exhausting work of saying them and creating infographics. And so instead of trying to explain it to my neurotypical friends, I can just send them an infographic. And I'm like, someone's explained it for me. Reading books about autism. I listen to books because of the ADHD. I find it very hard to sit and read a physical book. But I love walking and listening to books. So I've listened to countless books on autism and ADHD that way. And that really, it makes you feel supported, especially when it's like scientists saying, no, this is the new research. And we actually got it wrong all those years ago. And actually, there's a lot of people, especially women who live undiagnosed because they present so differently. And it's just validating. I also had podcasts because of the year 2023 oh, is growing. Absolutely. Because I run one. I'm just saying that in general, they're no. growing. It's kind of going to beat radio, I think, one day. Uh, that's why podcasts are great. When you find someone who you looked up to or you related to and you find out they're autistic. When I found out I was autistic, I was like, I don't know if I'm going to speak publicly about this because it was very vulnerable, especially because people just don't understand autism in women at all. I feel like if I tell people I'm autistic, it's giving them the free reign to think that I do all these things or I'm, to judge me in a way that I'm like, but that's not that's not who I am. And I have a thing about control and I like being able to control the narrative. It took for me to find a partner who was so accepting and never treated me like I was strange or he only ever treated my autism as if it was like part of what makes me me and part of what he really likes about me. And then I felt comfortable to be like, right, well, I need to say this publicly because there could be someone just like me who's like looking for someone who they see themselves in and they can't find anyone speaking publicly about having autism so they don't tell anyone either and then they feel even more lonely. There's a comedian, she's big and she's getting big in America as well. Her name's Fern Brady and she's a Scottish comedian and I love her. I knew her well before I was diagnosed as autistic. She got diagnosed with autism, I think in like 2020 and was starting to talk about it publicly and genuinely if I hadn't known that she had autism and saw how she spoke about it and thought, well I don't think of her any differently. I still like her. I actually think this is more interesting. Like I'm fascinated about it. Are you still with your partner? Because I never know. Like when I did the I could not find a boyfriend or anything like that. I'm still with my partner. I just, I don't really post about him on Instagram because it's like, I post about everything else on Instagram. So I'm like, let me just keep something maybe. So you also were big hit on the Skins series. So out of all the Skins scenes, what was your favorite skin scene to film? Okay. There was one that was the best at first and then it quickly went into like not the worst but like not fun so we had a scene when we were eating brownies in this character Pandora's bedroom and we were all having like a sleepover the idea was that these brownies had been spiked by my character we were all eating these brownies in Pandora's bedroom and getting more and more high as we ate the brownies and when I read it in the script I was like brownies are one of my favorite things to eat and I was like oh my god this is gonna be great which is gonna be a day of eating brownies that was my favorite scene at first but when we had to do that scene like 20 times and eating that many brownies it was to the point where we were all like, I will throw up if I eat any more brownies. One of the runners was coming around with like a bin bag after each cut and we would just literally spit out chewed up brownie because nobody could swallow any more brownie because we had so much. You, you never think you'd be here anymore. I'm tired of eating brownies. I really was like, no, trust me, I'll be good. No, I'll be fine. There's no amount of brownies I can't eat. And then I was like, oh my, no, not another. But it hasn't put me off brownies. Well, now I'm talking about your character, Katie Finch, a little more. So are there any similarities to the character, Katie Finch, 
and yourself, the actor behind Katie Fitch. Are there any differences too? I'm a lot nicer to my sister, I like to think, than, <laughs> than Katie is. But it's weird, as the series went on, I became more like Katie. Like, my dress then became, like, when they first started putting me in leopard print, I was like, oh my, does anybody wear leopard print? And then now, leopard print, I'm partial to leopard print nowadays. And I think probably her brutal honesty is something that I very much relate to. And the fact that she's very close with her sister. She wasn't very nice to her sister, but when it's, yeah, but deep down, there's a very close bond. I relate to that. Gotcha. Well, Myra Thimet, let's go into a little bit with your sister, Catherine Prescott, who I know played in the movie A Dog's Journey. So how did your sister, Catherine, feel when you told her that you were on the autism spectrum? You'd have to ask her. I think it was quite obvious she's the person I'm closest to. But yeah, I mean, she was always accepting and never made me feel like it was anything to be ashamed of or to keep quiet. It has helped our relationship because I think it helps people understand me a bit better when they know that I'm on the spectrum. Do you think Skins did a good job representing mental health? It did cover some Effie's character. She was struggling with her mental health. I think some of the criticism that has come from it was that it glamorized a lot of serious mental health issues, which could argue like it's a TV show as entertainment. But I do think a lot of people watched the show and they were young and it was kind of the first time they saw something like that be discussed or be portrayed in like popular media. So I do think maybe there were some parts which could have been a bit more carefully handled. But again, it has been so long since I watched it. I would have to rewatch to give my proper opinion on that. I think it was good that it was being discussed full stop because at the time I don't think there was a lot of other things representing like, oh yes, young people do struggle with their mental health. Like, can we please talk about this? You always have to be careful with how you present mental health struggles, don't you? Because it's very easy to fall into like tropes and stereotypes. It could also get real. One of the scenes in particular in Skids United Kingdom, I think, yeah, it did involve you. You were getting bullied by some blonde who was a cheerleader. I think it was in like a club or something. Oh! You gave him a punch and you oh, that I'm Katie effing Fitz. Yeah, that's the catchphrase that everybody like remembers. I think I tried to repost it or something on TikTok and it was like, you can't repost this because it contains violence. And I was like, oh, I guess it does. <laughs> that was a clip about Katie being taken advantage of. And that was her episode where you got to see kind of behind the curtain of her. She was kind of a bit of a bully to her sister and Naomi. She was a bully. And then you just got to see like, ah, this girl, the reason she's like that is because of all these other things and what's going on at home and I did like that it was it's not always what it looks like on the surface it shows why bullies are bullies I mean not saying that like, oh it's okay to bully someone but it is interesting how cycles repeat themselves oh I agree I did a flub some blame for this or C252 but when yeah. one person gets bullied they're gonna go for someone else because that's what they know so I know you said you had some symptoms of autism before but what were some of the symptoms you did show clearly the outspokenness I know that one the sensory feeling but what else so sound getting medicated for ADHD and finding noise cancelling headphones have changed my life I didn't even realize how sensitive I was to sound until I got noise cancelling headphones and put like white noise on when I'm working and that is the only way I can get things done. I don't know how I was doing life before without noise cancelling headphones and it was getting me burnt out being in environments that were so loud. Also watching TV or watching things without subtitles I didn't realise how much effort I was putting in to try and listen to people talking. I wish people had subtitles like to be honest. And I discovered subtitles and I was like oh my life 
got exponentially easier when I realized you could just put subtitles on. And when I was younger as well, I would, they thought that there was something wrong with my hearing, which I've now learned is a common thing with autism because of your auditory processing uh, delay that some people experience with autism. I had all these tests done and they were like, her hearing's perfect. There's nothing wrong with her hearing. And I remember saying to them, it's not that I don't hear people. They say something to me and I think I don't hear it. So I say, oh, sorry, what? And then as they're saying it again, it's almost like, oh, I remember now what you said. I just took longer to process it. And that's like a number one auditory processing issue symptom and nobody picked up on it. Social things, especially in the industry I was in, like the acting industry relies so heavily on you being able to understand neurotypical social dynamic. I think I was very good at acting because I'm so used to pretending to be this person. So I just got good at pretending, but I just wasn't getting roles because I didn't know how to network. Like when I'd go into auditions, I just didn't know what they wanted me to say or do or how they wanted me to behave. Was there another side you thought, I just wish it could have been sooner? Oh yeah, but then... I think if I'd been told I was autistic 15 years ago or when I was a ch- or like 20 years ago when I was a child, the world was not at a place then when it was accepted at all for women to have autism. People with very, very high support needs, they might acknowledge like, yes, this is autism. Would have been just a whole other battle for me to get people to believe me, even if I told them that I was diagnosed with autism. I think at least now there is slightly more acceptance and understanding in like the general consensus that like, oh, women can have autism too. Just because they know how to pretend to seem neurotypical, it does not mean the same as being neurotypical. It doesn't. But I do think often what would have been different, maybe I wouldn't have been expelled. Maybe I wouldn't have been told off so much for talking back. I take things really, really literally. So when someone asked me a question, I would just answer it. Logically, I would get in trouble. And I just couldn't understand. When I got told to do something in school, I would be like, why? And if they didn't give me a reason that I thought was logical, I wouldn't do it. And obviously there's a lot of rules in school that are stupid that are just to like get you used to following rules. But I would have been more self-confident if I had parents who understood, teachers that understood, friends that understood that I was autistic and therefore gave me some grace and some the support that I needed. But I wouldn't have had the life I had if I had been diagnosed earlier so i can't dwell on it too much and there are a lot of stupid rules in school <laughs> case in point the bathroom that's why i'm like oh god you just go a tangent on that one stupid rule also my dad ever since i got diagnosed with adhd and autism he's had like a mini epiphany because he very very obviously has both too <laughs> he was like a terror got expelled from school but he raised me he always would say to me you don't need to do things when there's not a logical reason and so he would tell me his autistic advice which to be honest I'm very glad he did because it has served me quite well in like speaking out about things as an adult because I have my dad in my head being like, if something's not logical, point it out. Don't do it. Obviously, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. But I do think having a dad that was autistic, it's that thing where, you know, when you say to your family, I think I'm autistic and they go, no, that's normal. Everyone does that. And you're like, I think it's because you're all autistic too. So you think this is normal, but this isn't neurotypical. I've had questions on some family members of mine if they were were or are. I love neurospicy people. The people I like most are on the spectrum. But I feel sad for generations like older than mine that don't get to be truly themselves because it's 
so unaccepted in society and they're just seen as these people that just go against the grain just for the sake of it. But it's like, no, think differently. I think I agree with you to a point. It's because they're old school beliefs, but I think it's also they don't know how to take it. What, like take take being diagnosed? Take being diagnosed or take the stimming, flapping your arms. One of my grandmas is very, that old school mentality of, oh, don't be silly. Oh, therapy is, is ridiculous. No one needs therapy. It's just a joke. No one had autism and ADHD. ADHD wasn't a thing in my day. Autism is like a new thing. And I'm like, no, they did. You just societally pressured them to try and conform. And a lot of them couldn't and suffered greatly as a result. Some people just can't deal with things that aren't like they've always been. And it's like, oh my God, get a grip. Let's open our mind and not be so bloody boring. It's like we said earlier, different did something. Now, there is a theory, this hasn't been proven, a lot more Americans have are on the spectrum than British people, right? Well, back in the day, before America was discovered, the type of people that would be like, hey, I'm bored. Do you want to get on a ship and go see if there's another land out there, even though we've got no guarantee and we might die? Yeah, I'll do that. That sounds fun. Yeah, let's shake it up. Probably had ADHD. They were probably looking for change. And we do need thinkers that are like, hang on a minute, stop. This is wrong. And for so much of my life, I had it drilled into me. Uh, uh, sometimes, a lot of the time, I'm wrong. But sometimes, you lot are wrong. So you yeah. talked about how your autism affects you today, but I don't think I've heard much about how does your ADHD affect you you today i mean my adhd is quite intense knowing that i have adhd has made me be a bit nicer to myself so whereas before i would be in a social situation i would be interrupting and talking too much and whatever and i would go home and i would be like oh my god I am so unbearable. Why did I keep talking? Why did I interrupt? Why do I have any friends? People must hate me. I must be unbearable to be around. I'm still sometimes like, God, I needed to rein it in there. I do think looking back at all my report cards from school, they would say if she could just sit still for a minute, her work would be much better. And Megan writes faster. Megan can think faster than she can write. And her handwriting is awful. She needs to practice her handwriting. Just so many things when you look back, you're like, yes, this little girl had ADHD. Oh, obviously. And since taking medication, I take non-stimulant medication because the stimulant medication was just a lot. But genuinely, the only reason I've written two plays and I've really gone ahead with my writing career is because I'm medicated, my ADHD. I'm medicated too because if I don't, I'm literally foaming out the mouth. When I was on Ritalin, it works almost immediately. It's like the same day. When the atomoxetine finally started working, I was like, oh my God, can you not just like think you're going to do something and just go to it? Is this what life is like? There is a ADHD medication shortage in the UK right now because so many more people are talking about it and therefore so many people are realizing that they have ADHD and getting diagnosed that the National Health Service can't keep up with the amount of medication that's needed because it's underfunded, which is really unfortunate. I really hope that people who get diagnosed have access to medication soon because it can be so life-changing. It really can. I mean, it went from, in my difference, from C's, D's, S to A's and B's. I was listening to a book about ADHD and it was called Hunter in a Farmer's World. I highly recommend it. Like, it's such a great way to frame ADHD as not like the only reason 
reason it's a disadvantage in our current world is because the world has been set up for neurotypical people. But back in the day, when we were hunters and gatherers, both neurotypical and neurodivergent people were valued equally. So like the ADHD people would be great hunters and like great lookouts because they notice things like they're really good at it. But they would be really rubbish farmers because they can't sit and plant seeds and wait patiently for them to grow. They would get bored out of their minds. But you need hunters and farmers to have a successful tribe. But it's just nowadays society has just been created or evolved into only for farmers, only people that can sit at a desk or sit still for eight hours a day. And if you can't, you're the problem. Whereas back in the day, we'd be just as valued as neurotypical people. I know you were also, before you grown to the woman you are today, were interested in studying television production. So what got you interested in studying television production? So I was on TV sets from the age of 15 because I, I did my first TV job at 15. And then we did Skins when I was 16 to 17. So a lot of time on set from very young. I always found it way more interesting, like how the whole production comes together than just the acting part. Like I liked acting, but the directing and the editing and the writing, obviously, like I loved seeing how the first draft of the script I got changed as the drafts went on and what finally made it to TV in the editing room. It was fascinating to me. And I think it was because I always really want to tell stories. And I thought that acting was the best way to do that. But then acting at a young age, you're like, oh, actually, it's not so much of getting to tell stories. You're just kind of doing a lot of what other people tell you to do. You're kind of telling stories, but you don't get to decide what that story is. You just have to do as you're told, kind of. And when I looked at TV production, I was like, oh, this is how you create a story, create a narrative from idea to like finished thing on TV. I started seeing how much potential there is for like social change in entertainment because that unfortunately it has more capacity to get social change than documentaries as great as some of them are if you're not already interested in that subject you probably aren't going to watch a documentary about it however how many people who thought they weren't interested in meth production watched Breaking Bad and were like oh sometimes people who have drug issues are real people and with real problems and there's I just wanted to be in it your reasoning is exactly why I went into broadcasting and why I'm studying at college for it. Don't get me wrong, there is some differences between television production and broadcasting, but they do a lot of intertwining as well. Both create stories, both still have its effects. And you have a voice in broadcast. That's why I started like producing a podcast because I was like, well, in so many other industries, you're kind of filtered and you have to say certain things and not say certain other things and or it has to be a perfect product. I think with TV as well, it has to be perfect before it gets like on TV. And I think podcasting was so appealing because I was like, no one's expecting you to have a perfect thought out idea. It's just a chat. It's just a discussion and there's less pressure for it to be perfect. And my therapist said to me one day when I was struggling to write my play, she was like, listen, perfection is the enemy of creativity and I was paralyzed with fear that what I was going to write or create wouldn't be perfect so I just didn't write anything and that literally stopped me for years it was really only when I got my ADHD and autism diagnosis where I was like okay just do a crap first draft and it will be crap and everyone will be okay with it being crap because it's a first draft but you are allowed to fail and you're allowed to make mistakes and that's how you eventually get to really good pieces of work but I think with podcasts you have a lot more freedom to slowly meander to the point you're making rather than having to have it perfect already. What is your process for directing a film? I haven't directed a film yet. 
but I directed some scenes for a TV series called The Burning Girls last summer. It was just second unit directing. I still got to direct actors, cars and animals, which was very fun. But normally what I do is the show is based on a book. And so I listen to the book over and over and over again because I actually love the book. So I kind of learn what the original story was. And then I read the script over and over again. And then as I go through the script, I highlight things that I think are important to get across, but that won't get across with just the line, just the words. And then I think of what the set's going to look like. So luckily this production had a great pre-production art department team. So we got sent loads of pictures and the lookbook for the show was beautifully done. And I was like, right, okay, this is exactly what they want. Honestly, the locations were amazing. It was great. I always storyboard. I think this is this is because I'm autistic, but seeing the final product in my head, I can just see it. If I read something on the page, I can see how I'm going to make it. And the only thing that I need to do professionally is prove to other people that I can see it. Because I want to be like, no, trust me, I can see it. Don't worry, I'll do it. But obviously that doesn't fly when there's a lot of money and in a production they don't want to waste time I show them roughly what shots I want out of what scenes and I draw the location and then I draw where I want the camera and what angles they think we'll need to cover it all and any extra shots and I love it all I always loved art it's so much fun I hate storyboarding I had to do it for a class and it's not that I don't like the concept of I get why when you do it but here's why for me it sucks one I can't draw two the issue is with me I need to talk it out like I can draw it out with the art like hey here's this, here's this, here's this. And I'm like, no, let me just tell you that. Because I'm a very descriptive person. So I'm like, okay, I want the chair on the right. Yeah. Let's go here. Yeah. Let's be maybe where there's grass on the floor. Really, maybe in Texas on a ranch. Actually, a lot of directors I met hate storyboarding. It's not a necessity. And I've seen the worst stick drawings of like people trying to just show the shot. I actually get quite exhausted with trying to explain what's in my head to people. And I always prefer being able to type it out to myself and then refine it so that it makes more sense because the first rambling explanation of what I want in a shot won't make any sense to anyone except me but then I can edit it down or draw a picture of it and I'm almost better at showing people things than I am at explaining because I think with my ADHD I just go off on tangents and I can't stick to the no, that's strange because we're all got to be opposites on that because I can explain to something someone all day. Now, if it's with communication or conversations, it's a whole new story. It's interesting because it, we're both autistic, but it does present. I think that's another thing that people need to like understand is if you know one person with autism, by no means does it mean you know everyone and you understand everyone with autism because it's such a massive spectrum, isn't it? Yeah, Temple Grand said herself for a listener to see 124 pictures from the ranch by Temple Grand. When you met one person on a spectrum, you met one person on a spectrum. And it's damaging when people, this idea of, oh, someone who's more or less autistic, it's like, no, Fern Brady wrote in her book, she was like, it's not a linear scale of more or less autism. It's a spectrum, but people just can't seem to comprehend that. If you know someone with, for example, like high support needs or who is nonverbal, for you to then meet someone whose autism presents entirely differently on that spectrum, for you to be like, oh, they're not autistic because my cousin who's autism can't speak. It's very strange that people think so black and white about autism, considering it's autistic people that are supposed to be thinking black and white. You did say you did do graduate work for the Burger Girls. How did you get that opportunity? It was through the 
director who did the first couple of episodes of The Burning Girls, he directed Skin. So I said from back then, listen, I want to get into media production. I tried to do a degree uh, at university, but it was so inaccessible. Obviously, I know now that I was having meltdowns. Well, but at the time, I just didn't have the words. I couldn't describe it. I was just like, this is overwhelming. I can't do it. I lasted two weeks and then I dropped out. So I spoke to the director and I was like, listen, university's not for me. I can't do it. Can I just shadow you? Can I sit in on an edit? Can I like just watch you direct? And he was like, yeah, fine. And he came from a very working class background. So I think he understood the thing of how exclusionary it can be if you can't afford to go to film school, which is very expensive. But he was like, you can learn on the job. You just need to utilize the people that you know. So I stayed in contact with him since then. He just messaged me saying, hey, I've got some an opportunity to do some directing and some shadowing work if you want. And it's a great show. They also did Holby City. How did that go down? Uh, Holby City was acting, but that was fun. I get Holby City Casualty and Doctors mixed up. They're all medical dramas in the UK. But I always have really nice experiences on those types of dramas. I recently did last year an episode of EastEnders, which I don't know if they show it in the US anywhere because it's so British. It's like a soap opera. And that was very fun but it's a very different filming experience than for example skin because it's the turnaround is so much faster on like soap than it is on a drama you know what they should do then since you played doctors and have been in like horror doctors they should have like the good doctor in united kingdom play the doctor they should spectrum because you are they should maybe i'll write it <laughs> exactly british ones better than american ones yeah prove that point <laughs> exactly. Now, folks, we'll be right back for an ad from the Doug Flutie Jr. Autism Foundation. So let's get to it. At the Doug Flutie Autism Foundation in Massachusetts, people are receiving hope. The organization was established in 1998 by Doug Flutie, former quarterback for Boston College and the NFL, and his wife, Lori, in the memory of their son, Dougie, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. The goal of the Flutie Foundation is to improve the quality of life for those with autism and their families. The biggest action they like to do is give grants and host their annual Stars on the Spectrum golf event. Our goal is to offer chances for physical and social activity outside of work for school, a path for education or employment during the day, and the resources needed to always feel safe, supported, and informed, the Doug Flutie Jr. Foundation says. Make sure to visit them on their website, www.flutiefoundation.org. That's www.flutiefoundation.org. Or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or even YouTube to see all the stars they have to offer. And you never know, you might be able to meet one of their stars if you are so kind they allow you to do so. Finally, if this was a testimony, this would be my testimony for the Doug Jr. Autism Foundation. All right, folks, we're back. You might meet Doug Flutie there. You never know. So you also were talking about a podcast coming out, man, called Really Good Exposure. What made you decide you wanted to start your Really Good Exposure podcast? Because I started stripping when acting was not making me enough money, when working in a bar just became unbearable. Uh, I was earning minimum wage. I've always felt the injustice that sex workers face. Obviously, I'm very privileged. I definitely was not experiencing the hardship that a lot of sex workers experience. I just found the hypocrisies between how people treat actors and how people treat sex workers. Even though we're both pretending, we're both being paid to show our bodies sometimes. I just don't see such a huge moral difference as apparently the rest of society society does it's just a form of work it's just that sex workers don't get afforded the same basic rights as other actors and workers do i think my podcast i have a lot of friends in the industry and in a lot of other random industries and there are parallels with sex work in almost all other industries especially
especially acting. And I just wanted to talk to my friends and people that I know that have interesting stories to tell about their experience of working in their industry. I think the idea was to kind of spot, I have a bunch of the same questions that I ask all of my guests. And the point was spot the parallels when in all work and why when we are living in a capitalist patriarchy, there are going to be issues for women in work. I don't think it's fair that we penalise sex workers only. The problems they face are often problems that society has in general. We just love to make sex workers the scapegoats. I just wanted it to be an exploration of like all different forms of work and how all different types of workers have issues and we shouldn't just say to sex workers, oh, well, if you don't like your job, you should do something else because we wouldn't say that to an actor. When the Me Too movement came around, there was no one talking about closing down the acting industry but when anyone complains about their job as a sex worker or if anything bad happens to them during work if they try and report it they're often told well what do you expect look at the industry you're in in no other industry would we say that we would say oh my god we need to find the person that did that expel them from the industry make sure they're brought to justice and put things in place to make sure that things like this aren't able to happen again but with sex workers people don't care it's just an internally misogynistic thing is that what stripped is stripped was a collaboration I did with a theatre company called Sexquisite and it was kind of like that because I played a character who was an actress and she'd run out of money semi based on me but like a very heightened version she was an actress and she'd run out of money and she started working at a strip club but she thought she was like so much better than all the other strippers because she was like oh no well I'm not a lifer I'm just stripping just for the meantime just like pay my rent looked down her nose at all the other sex workers in the strip club but eventually it came to a point where a producer made it very obvious to her that if she had sex with him she would be much more likely to get a part and she did it and the other sex workers were like huh so you judge us for for some of us for doing full service sex work and having sex for money but you also had transactional sex you just didn't get paid for it in the end she didn't even get the job so it's like sex work is very black and white version of what happens in society a lot anyway i just think because often the women actually benefit from that financially people don't like it because they don't like the idea of financially independent women i know i can agree with that because what i thought brought awareness to was my mother has this belief and for a listener see when if i meet my mother but she has the belief that society teaches ladies that oh you should cover it up now you don't want the men to look i agree that to a point but it's also a response to the men to keep it in their pants this whole culture that we teach little girls that men's behavior is their responsibility so it is when you say to little girls in school your skirt needs to be below your knee because otherwise the boys are going to be distracted instead of that's teaching girls oh the men can't control themselves and so you have to adapt your behavior that is not what we should be teaching little girls we should be teaching little boys that it doesn't matter what the girl is wearing you concentrate on your bloody work you control yourself you're not an animal that runs through all of society and this thing of oh a woman got attacked well what was she wearing was she drunk it's like if i went out in the street naked i still don't deserve to be attacked why is that a justification i think it needs to be taught though to both you need to definitely keep it because i'm not saying boys can't control themselves i'm just saying it can't be distracted for me personally it's not like oh my goodness really it's like it's not what we're supposed to do but at the same side me teach boys don't look at it well when i'm saying we should teach both i'm saying we should teach girls what you wear doesn't dictate your value 
or how much respect you deserve. And we should teach boys, you are not entitled to women's bodies, whether or not you can see all of it or whether you can see more of one girl's body than another. You deal with your own shit. If you can't control yourself in front of women, you make sure you don't go around women. But it's unacceptable to say, well, she was wearing a low-cut top. I couldn't help but assault her. You also end up as a bartender. So how'd you end up as a bartender? I got a job in a bar right after Skins because... Again, probably just thinking black and white, like I finished one job. I was like, okay, well, I need to get another then. Everybody was like, no, but you're an actor. And I was like, right, I don't have any acting work right now. So I'll just get another job. I have to have income. I actually didn't mind working in a bar. It was okay. It was exhausting. And sometimes you get harassed and spoken to like shit by customers. And sometimes it was awful. But sometimes I was like, actually, this feels a standard job. Quite liked to have the comparison between the acting job, which is very surreal especially at such a young age and this bar job because it was like oh okay this is what work is I mean acting is very hard as well but in a very different way and I'm just always curious I just like seeing different types of lifestyle and different work and different experiences I was fine with it I've had like snippets of alcohol but not two drinks or anything like that it's because I am terrified I'll become one of those let's call them harassers I can't imagine I think if you're the type of person to do that they're clues when you're sober because alcohol Alcohol just reduces your inhibition, doesn't it? If you're the type of person that would treat a woman like that, deep down, you can't have that much respect for women. And I feel like you obviously do have respect for women. So no matter how much alcohol you had, you'd never like kick a puppy. Well, it's just to the outspokenness. Oh, so you're... Like, you know, well, it's like, and then, because I say what's on my mind, and I'm like, oh, you... And it's just derogatory terms that I couldn't live with because I, yeah. I shouldn't have said that, but I was under the influence and I didn't think clearly. It's good that you've acknowledged that happens if you drink and so you're like right so the answer is i I don't know it's just a chance i don't want to take well then good (laughs) so you also are a bodybuilder as we know what do you like about bodybuilding specifically thinking back i didn't know that this is why i loved it at the time but i know now that i love the routine of bodybuilding the schedule of like i knew what my days would look like every day i knew what i would eat every day there was a process it's like these things and you learn how your body works and what foods and what drinks and what supplements do what to your body and I found it fascinating watching what your body was capable of with certain foods and certain types of exercise I just loved it that's why I'm like very excited to be pregnant at one point it just amazes me what the body is capable of and bodybuilding was one of those things where I was like oh my god I didn't know my body could do this I never thought I'd be hearing that on a podcast episode you're excited to get pregnant not bad I'm saying never thought I've heard that it's insane that bodies can do that what's your favorite exercise that helps you with your bodybuilding? Is it squats? Is it jumping jacks? Is it push-ups, sit-ups, or something else I'm missing? So when I was bodybuilding, it was a bit of train six days a week. Obviously, that's too much to train like for the average person. But I would train a body part. So like I would do resistance training on a body part. So like leg one day. And then on the same day, I would do some cardio. So, But only low-intensity cardio because you don't want to be doing high-intensity cardio because it burns muscle when you're not eating enough carbs. I really liked doing leg days because I, I just love leg workouts because I'm strongest in my legs and I liked doing things I'm good at. I did not like the cardio. Even though most of the time it was just walking fast on an incline on treadmill, but it's just boring. I would have to watch something on my phone. I just don't understand how 
how people can do cardio watching nothing, not enough going on. That's my problem with working out. It's not that I don't want to work out, it's I get bored easily. If I go in a gym, I can't do it there. Not because I hate the place, it's yeah. just whoop de doo, I've seen it. Yeah. But going outside, oh. I can do because I can change my environment. Yeah. I can walk from my mailbox, then I can go work out in my field where yeah. I see the mailbox ranted, but I also see my house. I can manage that. I see dogs as well. Like if I know there's might be some dogs walking past, I'm like, okay, fun. I'll go work out there. Like I do a lot of high intensity interval training on YouTube. You know, YouTube have just videos of fitness instructors. Sometimes when I'm like, oh my God, I need to do some cardio because I haven't for ages, but I really can't be asked. I do like a 20 minute one on YouTube, but even that that I'll have that on one side of my laptop screen and then the other side I'll be watching a YouTube podcast videos that's not enough though is the kicker I wish it was I tried before I'm like next there's days when I'm like no I'm not doing it I'm I would be bored <laughs> I feel that one so you also did a little more through bodybuilding by making a documentary called dumbbells and donuts can you tell us how you made your documentary dumbbells and donuts well unfortunately it never got made basically the film crew that filmed it stole my footage and wouldn't give it back unless I paid them a lot of money I offered to pay them some money but I had no money then they just stopped responding to me entirely so it was very upsetting because I put so much work not only into the bodybuilding competition but into making that documentary so much work and so much money and the federation that did it very rarely let film crews in and I managed to get a hold of them and talk to them on the phone and get them to give me permission to have a cameraman on stage with us and that just is unheard of it was a life lesson to always make sure you have the right contracts in place even if you think you can trust people because sometimes when money gets involved people just get very very selfish taught me to always use proper contracts maybe try considering trying to take it to america is that an option i don't physically have the footage they won't give it to me yeah but... like you're on youtube and download it oh no that the stuff that's on youtube yeah but they have hours and hours and hours oh okay like, i see from the show okay show it be beautiful footage no i get you now okay it's that makes 100 sense i was like yeah. you sure you get right here it's all YouTube. Yeah, no, that stuff is all mine. I changed my YouTube password. They can't take it down. It's mine. But well, I did hear this. You were getting interviewed for the unaired show and you say that you're basically normally covered in food because yeah. clumsy. So are you a klutz? Yeah getting food all over my face I, I actually find it quite difficult to actually eat like cutting up things and stuff I have like really weak joints I just get exhausted in eating and the, the longer I'm eating the more mess I'm making because I'm just exhausted I is I trip over my feet a lot oh do you yeah I'm quite clumsy something else no you did do makeup artists and that was one of your favorite things so why do you love doing makeup I did makeup for a little while but it was mostly before I did bodybuilding yeah now I still do like special effects makeup on my photo shoots sometimes it's not something I do now and it's something that I was like, oh, wow, this is like a full art and a full skill that people do. I was kind of just dipping my toe in. It was probably just like a hyperfixation where I was like, oh, my God, I love this. I want to do this. And then I was like, nah, not for me. <laughs> so I know you do is art, but why you say it was relaxing and perfect? Why do you find art relaxing and perfect? I need to get back into painting, but I did paint for a little while and I liked it. When I was too anxious to do anything, but also too anxious to sit still and do nothing, painting was such a great way to ease myself. I have issues with uh, task switching. I need to get back into it. My grandfather, for listeners, he went 22 meet Big Joe, but he's a painter. He does artwork as well. It's pretty cool what he can paint. For a while, he did bubbles. Oh, wow. Like, that would like, be 
like small bubbles that a child would draw, but they were big, fancy bubbles. Not when you have his hands. Yeah. Unlike me, he's, I don't think he's not as fidgety. <laughs> now, full street, right back here an ad from Rock 96.1 radio station, so let's get to it. We want to thank 96.1 The Quarry, especially David and Dan Hayes, for being a gold sponsor for our summer fest. 96.1 residents in Bloomington, Indiana, and like autism rocks and roll, they rock and roll too. Visit their website at rock961fn.com to hear them out. And when they're on the station, be sure to listen to them live on their website or catch them on the radio in your car. If you like Kiss, Queen, 80s Rock, or ZZ Top, I think you have found your station. 96.1 also supports our veterans, so you should support them too. Visit 96.1. All right, folks, we're back. You'll definitely rock out to this radio station. Megan, I do know you did an OnlyFans page. Is it still running? Yeah. Where can people find that page? That's how I make most of my money. The only reason I've been able to pursue writing and directing is because I don't have to spend all my time at a part-time job or a full-time job making money to pay my rent i'm at megatron on OnlyFans. m-e-g-a-r-t-r-o-n same as on instagram there's a lot of comedy there's a lot of me being myself being very blunt very open it's been surprisingly a fun and really fulfilling avenue for me just like your youtube channel right yeah youtube was fun now there is someone i know that seems like very important to you that's not your sister catherine it seems like your girl lily loveless so what has lily loveless done for you well we were in skins together when we were young so she played naomi we've been friends since then so i was like 12 years ago now and then even before that we randomly we went to the same saturday drama school in our local area so weird that of all the people to get the part it was us and lily because we knew each other before now we live together we've been living together for like two and a half years now and it was was kind of like our version of university neither of us actually went to university but it was like a bonding thing we'll just wrap her up here and these are for fun so what is your paradise meal or favorite food and why is it your favorite i really like tuna steak raw fish i'm just a big fan of my favorite because it i like knowing that i'm getting all the nutrition this is very black and white thinking like I like that I'm getting the protein from the fish I'm getting carbs from the rice and then I'll have some like veg or salad on the side and then I'm like right this is hitting all the right things it tastes amazing and I feel full satiated afterwards and then for dessert I would have a cheesecake oh my god cheesecake is my it's just the best thing it has protein in it as well so I'm like ah it's not all bad either (laughs) what is your favorite movie or TV show why do you like it weirdly and I don't actually watch that many films and I've realized it it's because I don't my issues with task switching because I know the film will be over in two hours and either I've wasted two hours if it wasn't good or if I liked it it's finished I always watch way more TV series than I do films but I watched a show called in the US it's called Raker R-E-Y-K-A and in the UK it's called The Canefield Killings and it was about a woman detective a, a psychological profiler in South Africa it was so good like the writing directing was beautiful it was directed by this really young South African director and it just it was just amazing I loved that they had local cast and crew so it was like creating jobs instead of just always shooting everything in America or the UK I honestly highly recommend it brilliant was it your favorite vacation i've ever taken why did you enjoy that vacation very much i haven't taken a vacation since like 2019 well i think it might be the one in 2019 because my friend kaya who was also in skins she played the lead she she took us all to mauritius because she had like a company who had private villas in mauritius and they were like listen do you want to like promote this and we'll give you and your friends a free stay and we were like absolutely so we got this beautiful villa in mauritius with a butler i was 
like, who am I? I have a butler. What is this? It was beautiful. Well, I'm going to be having a private chef maybe when I go to Texas for a retreat and this will be a first one for me. Oh, oh that's amazing. I'm just I know. Sorry. I feel bad. If I could share green beans with you, I would. <laughs> so my final question is, are there any good memories want to tell our viewers about? If you do, why do you remember that memory the most? So before you answer, I want you to end with a good memory that was sentimental, that will stick with you. You just thought life is good. And a funny memory that made you fall on the floor laughing. I'm so bad. My recall is terrible. So I'm going to try. So, so you want an uplifting one and you want a funny one. In what sense? Like from acting or from- anything you want? Acting, doing this with your sister. You're probably want to answer it. This is just like a, just a weird thing. that ha- Lots of strange things happen to me. One time I was nannying uh, in LA when I lived there and I went to go pick up this the little girl I was nannying she was like or we need to pick up my friend from her house and then go shopping. So I went to pick up this kid from the house and like it's LA so a lot of these parents had like massive houses. It was not that shocking to go pick up kids with massive houses and whatever. But this house was particularly like fancy and I came in and no parents were home, just the kid and their nanny. I was looking around this house and I was like, so their parents do. This is an amazing house. Like what is going on here? And then as we were about to leave, I was saying goodbye to their nanny and then the dad came in the door and he had sunglasses on and I was like I recognize this guy but I don't know why maybe it's because he had a British accent so I was like oh it must be just because he's British I'm just not used to hearing British accents because it's all American and then he took his sunglasses off and it was uh, Batman what's his name the actor well there's a lot of Batman actors I don't know the Dark Knight wait Heath Ledger Christian Bale there we go Uh, people listening are going to be screaming at me that I'm an idiot yeah he was really nice but I was like this is so random I'm looking after Christian Bale's child and in his house no the price grab me for thinking it was Heath Ledger because I realized, wait a minute, he later ain't British. Well, I didn't even realize that. Folks. And they then both I think, get screamed at. I guess an uplifting one. The other night, I went, I went to a Christmas party and I dressed as Santa. One of our friends was just saying to me, like, "Oh, you're so like what you post about and what you say and what you stand for and the things that you you talk about and the things that you want to do in the world is want to wrap you up and give you a cuddle. You're just such a." a light in the world and I was like oh my god now he had had a couple of drinks <laughs> but it was like one of the nicest things anyone has ever said to me and I was like ah a lot of what he's saying about like things that I talk about and stand up for are directly because of my autism which in three years ago I would have been like oh god I'm such a loud mouth I'm so annoying I just ran on about these topics but actually this is like one of the first times where I was like oh someone is actually giving me a very nice compliment based on things that I do because of my autism and that's really nice because that doesn't happen very often. Did you get that cuddle? I always get cuddled. So he was dressed as, to my response, and he was dressed as Mrs. Claus. So he was sitting on my knee for most of the night. Well, Megan, thank you for your time. Is there any closing remarks you'd like to say or tell our listeners before we head out of here? I just think if you have been diagnosed with autism, that's amazing. And I hope you have the resources and you have the tribe and you feel supported. If you, I know there's a lot of people that feel almost too guilty to think they're autistic. They're like, oh, well, I'm not autistic enough to warrant telling people or pursuing a diagnosis and I just think that even though people told me when I was pursuing a diagnosis they were like well, what's the point there's no medication knowing that you actually have autism is such a validating thing you can start to grieve all the experiences you've had which you will have had if you were undiagnosed autistic in your 30s 20s whatever because it is such a vast spectrum that even like the experts still don't fully understand understanding yourself is the key to living happier it is not anything to be ashamed of and now the year 2023 it isn't anymore and I agree with you thank you again Megan have a wonderful day you too thanks for having me mama washed and combed the girl my head and 
Thanks for joining for this episode. Please join for another episode coming very soon. I hope you enjoyed listening to me ramble. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.